0: Today we are in Joshua chapter 23, but I just want to go to the Lord again in prayer and ask him to help us hear the message from the book of Joshua. So let's pray again. Thank you, Lord. We invite your Holy Spirit to help us to hear what we need to hear. We thank you for the word, Lord. Thank you for divinely inspiring it for seeing it through the ages, through the thousands of years, so it could come down into our hands, so we could learn from it, the wisdom that you give, the lessons that you taught, that we can apply them to our lives today. And I pray that each one of us here would hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So. We're, as we've been skipping through Joshua through because of the distribution of the land and the, the, all the technical locations and stuff took us uh, here and there, but we're going to, uh, in this case, Joshua 23, and then next week, Joshua 24, we're going to uh, go ahead and read the entire passage. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this to you? Joshua chapter 23, a long time afterward when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers and said to them, I'm now old and well advanced in years and you've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you the great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight "'a thousand, since it is the Lord your God "'who fights for you, just as he promised you. "'Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God, "'for if you turn back and cling to the remnant "'of these nations remaining among you, "'and make marriages with them "'so that you associate with them and they with you, "'know for certain that the Lord your God "'will no longer drive out these nations before you, "'but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, "'a whip on your sides,' and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I'm about to go the way of all earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land he has given you. Amen, this is God's word. He can be seated. So this is our next to the last message in Joshua. And while we know that what we're reading is a historical record of Israel's conquest of Canaan and a distribution of the tribal lands, we've seen many spiritual analogies. And we've talked about the difference between Old and New Testament and how at that time there was a theocratic nation and the nations that were in the land were so evil, God gave them 400 years to repent, and they got worse and worse, so God removed them from that land and gave that land to the people of Israel. But that we can see in the analogy for us our spiritual battles. We're no longer a theocratic nation, but we are the kingdom of God. When we come to Christ, when we receive Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we enter Right now, not someday, but right now, the kingdom of God. We're a part of his kingdom. And so we have spiritual battles too. It's interesting that uh, in both what uh, Luke taught last week, he talked about these spiritual battles. Uh, The men's group's talking about it, and and apparently the women's group is talking about it as well. We're all talking about the same thing, that we have these spiritual battles that take place. We were just uh, talking to someone in the Sunday school about the spiritual battles they felt they were facing in their life. And it's no longer um, that we as the kingdom of God rise up and conquer nations or anything, but we do fight a spiritual battle. Ever since Satan fell, there's been this war over the souls of men and women, amen? And we're in the middle of it, we're a part of it. And once we enter the kingdom of God, We then fight a spiritual battle for the souls. We join the forces of God, the angelic, the good angelic realm, in fighting over the souls of men. Praying for people's deliverance, praying for their salvation, and uh, letting God work in us, continue to work in us His salvation in our minds and our hearts as we follow Him. So we're claiming spiritual land, and. We see in this record in Joshua that it was an act of God that brought them into the kingdom when he parted the Jordan, right? It was miraculous that the Jordan stopped while they'd crossed on dry land. And in the same way, we can see that we entered the kingdom of God supernaturally as the Spirit of God drew us to repentance to see where our hearts were really at, to see and recognize our needs for Jesus. And in the walls of Jericho falling, we saw that God fights our battles for us if we will be obedient. We saw the consequences of compromise in Achan, and we saw the importance of getting God's input in decisions when the Gibeonites deceived Israel. And in the distribution of the land, we saw how God has appointed our place in life and given us his faithful promises that we can take that land that he's given us. And our last message here in Joshua warns us to be faithful. Uh, That is the last time that we preached in Joshua. It warned us to be faithful, to pass on our faith to the following generation, to see that it continues. But now in our passage today, Joshua knows his time on earth is almost over and he wants to be sure that the nation continues to be faithful to do everything that God's commanded. And that should be our heart for our children and for those who we disciple. That's my heart for all of you, that you continue to take all that spiritual land that God has for you to take, which is of course the renewing of our mind in the word of God and, and stepping into the calling God has on our life, every one of us, has a call from God to do to do things for the kingdom of God. And our prayer is that every one of us finds that and steps into it. So back to uh, verse 1. And a lo- it begins, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders, heads, its judges, and officers, and said to them, I'm now old and well advanced in years. So Joshua knew his time was about up. You know, we can kind of sense our body's failing us. We're not, we don't have the energy we once had. Not, Joshua dies at 110. Like they lived a little bit longer back then. But he could tell his days were numbered. So he calls together all the leaders of Israel to share with them his final concerns. In the next chapter, he'll he's going to address the people to renew the covenant before he dies. But right now, it's the leaders, the elders, the judges, the officers, because he knows they're going to set the tone in each of their tribal lands. They're no longer one big homogenous group. They've all gone into their own tribal areas. So it's up to the leaders of each of those areas to see that they remain faithful to God. Um You know, usually when we elect someone uh, and some of these elders were in a sense elected, God chose them, but then sometimes they would choose the judges. And sometimes we choose leaders like ourselves. But even then, sometimes God raises up somebody to call us on to a a higher place. And that that was Moses. Moses did that. He, knew, he saw where the people were and God used Moses to call them to a higher place from slavery and bondage to freedom and to complete commitment to God. And now that the people have dispersed, um, it's up to those leaders to do that for them. Joshua is, has done that for them. He, now he's encouraging them to, to pass it on. So the text begins with the phrase, a long time afterward. How long is this after they conquered the promised land that this took place? And we can kind of guess because of the age of Caleb. We know that he uh, that he took the land when he was 80 years of age. And the battles took about seven years. So if Joshua is about the same age and dies at 110, this may mean that this took place about 30 years after the land was allotted to the different tribes. In other words, Joshua had about 20 or 30 years of peace to, um, to build the plant, to harvest, to enjoy the fruit of his labor and watch the growth of his posterity. Now verses three through five. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it's the Lord your God who's fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I've already cut off. From the Jordan to the Great Sea in the West, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. You know, we have this song, uh, Look What the Lord Has Done. I don't think we've ever seen it here in and it goes, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He healed my mind. He saved me just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise his name. Each day he's just the same. Come on and praise him. Look what the Lord has done. dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I love that song because it shares our testimony, how we feel. And that's what Joshua's doing here. He's saying, remember all the things that God did for you since you came out of the land of Egypt. How he conquered the enemies, how he fed you in the in the wilderness, how he gave you this land. It's just amazing when you look back and see where you came from in slavery to now possessing this land with houses you didn't build and fields that you didn't plant, and now the wealth of the conquered nations. It's a, but in a sense, it's just as amazing for us, isn't it? When you look at your life before Christ, And then you look at your life after Christ and you think, why was I all wrapped up in all that stuff and worried about all those things? It's so great to live a life trusting Jesus and to know his love for us and to be at peace with God through him. And boy, and we have so much to look forward to as we sang earlier in the song. But like the Israelites, there's land allotted to us, which we have yet to take possession of. While the spirit of God gives us love and joy, sometimes we miss out on these because we take our eyes off our savior and we focus on this fallen world. We get wrapped up again in the worldly concerns and fears and cares. But I can take the spiritual land if I will continue to do battle. But if I get comfortable where I am, I'm never going to take that land. The Lord will go before me, but being entertained and doing what I please are so much easier. Taking time to love others and get to know them and share Christ with them is demanding of my time. And sometimes it's intimidating. And even if I know Christ will go before me to pray for them each day, it's time-consuming. We face the same enjoyment of rest and compromise that they faced. Satisfied with where we are, which is why Joshua spoke the following verses. Verse six, therefore, because you're in this condition, you've conquered the land, most of it anyway, but there's still some to take, And because you're all at peace and you've got all this prosperity and God's blessed you so much, therefore be very strong to keep and do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. In other words, don't get soft. Be very strong to keep and to do what the word commands us. We have what the law pointed to in Jesus, don't we? We, we those of you who have studied God's word know that Jesus is a fulfillment of all the Old Testament. And he gave us a new command and that command is, in fact, he gave us a number of commands, but the main one is to love God with all our heart, to love one another as he loved us, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to let the word of God dwell in us richly to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And there are so many more commands in the New Testament. And these commands are stated in the Greek tense that we call imperative, which means you need to do it. He's not asking you, would would you think about maybe letting God's word dwell in you richly? No, he's saying, let the word of God dwell in you richly. He's not saying, oh, if you think about it, maybe you could go into all the world and preach. No, he's saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. These are commands for us. You know, sometimes people say, well, it's all by grace. I say, amen, it's all by grace, but I hope they're talking about salvation Because sanctification requires us as soldiers of the Lord Jesus to engage in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can't just sit back. Yes, the Lord goes before us and he empowers us and it's his grace, by his grace, that we continue to fight. But it is up to us to get off our duffs and be obedient as Joshua was exhorting the Israelites. Notice he tells them to do all that Moses commanded them. The Bible is not a cafeteria where you take what you like and leave the rest. Too many people want to take this part. They like this part, God is love. They like this part that we have peace with God through Jesus, But then the rest of the stuff, the battle stuff and the go tell people stuff. uh, I don't want a helping of that. No, thank you. But these are commands that the word of God has given us. And just like Joshua said to them, be careful to do all. We, too, should be careful to do all that is commanded us in the word of God. God help us. Amen. It's only by his help that we can. And he will if we get off our couches of comfort and engage in the battle. Sitting in our easy chairs and saying it's all by grace is an excuse to ignore the commands of Jesus, our Savior. Christianity has been so soft peddled and presented as a free ticket to heaven and nothing more. And that's really um, way short I would even say it is deceptive to not teach the whole word of God. To to follow Christ is to enlist in God's army. Luke 13, 24 says, strive to enter through the narrow door for many I tell you will seek to enter but will not be able. We don't wage war like the world does. We fight on our knees. We take a lot of fire directed at us. We persevere and try harder because our Savior has gone before us and as an example, and his life empowers us. Our retreats are temporary to be renewed so we can head back into the battle against the world's strongholds, the ground the enemy holds in our minds and against spiritual forces and heavenly realms. Joshua told them not to turn aside from the word, to the right or to the left. In other words, no compromise whatsoever. You know, sometimes, often, in fact, people ask me, how do you hear from God? We certainly, I, can't, I think everyone can develop a spiritual ear for the Holy Spirit. He's gentle, he speaks softly, and so we have to still ourselves to be able to hear. And we should endeavor to do so But we already have our instructions in the word of God. If you aren't reading and studying and taking to heart God's field manual, B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth, right? Then it's no wonder we don't know what God wants us to do. We got to get off our couch, get in our study chair, get some notepaper or a, a, uh, your diary and start learning what God expects of us as followers of Christ. Yes, he'll help you, but don't say it's all by grace while you spend your days doing as you please. A soldier who does as he pleases either ends up dead or in the brig, Right? Quit compromising and start training and listening for your orders. Did you notice that we're losing the war in the USA? Our heroes are dying and someone needs to take their place or we'll all be in further retreat. Time for the church to wake up and take a stand. Verse seven, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. Here's our problem. Joshua was saying, don't mix it up with the the heathen so that you start talking about their gods and using the language that they use. You know what the gods are. Listen to what popular people in the world are promoting that's the gods of this world they identify them the number one God of course for most people is self a close second is possessions followed by fame and making a name for oneself you know um, they have if you oh, if you Google I was gonna say open and dictionary, encyclopedia, but no one knows what encyclopedias are anymore. And you look up the religion of the nation, you'll have, you know, like uh, India, Hinduism, or, but America should say materialism. I think we can, we would be safe to say that is the major religion of the United States of America. Not that it always has been, for sure, but it has become so. And then there's the gods of the the sports world. But I can say, if you know more about players' names than you do Bible characters, if you know more about their stars than you do Bible references, if you're more excited about game time than you are about worshiping God, your priorities are out of whack. Do you think you will talk about any of those things in heaven? Do you know what so-and-so's batting average was? Come on. (laughs) Not in heaven. (laughs) Eternity looms before us, brothers and sisters. Verse 8, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Here's the solution. Cling, cleave, hold tightly to the Lord your God. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. This verb is used frequently by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and by Joshua here in in verse 8. It's perhaps the strongest adhesive word in the Old Testament and it's first used in Genesis when God talks about a man cleaving to his wife. The man is to hold fast to his wife, to cling to her, to stick fast to her so that they become one flesh. The word speaks then of total commitment, loyal devotion, and deep personal affection. No wonder the Apostle Paul says marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. The scholar of the Old Testament that he was, he could see this verbiage in the Old Testament. And so that's what Joshua is telling them Make Jesus your husband. Cling to him. Be devoted to him. The world will always tempt us to let go and grab something temporal that promises but never delivers. Hebrews 2, 1 is very similar. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. And the language is actually nautical language of securing your boat to the dock. You know, there's a certain way you tie the boat to that uh, to the slip. And when they heard, when they had heard, uh, I'm sorry, what they had heard were the laws of God delivered to Moses and the testimony of God's holiness and faithfulness. Moses is warning them. And we have the same warning that there's a temptation to la- relax our grip. On God to loosen the knot to slowly without realizing it start to drift away from our commitment to God those Israelites had been faithful up to that point that younger generation that entered the promised land they'd forsaken everything to do God's will and take the land for seven long years of battles. They had seen amazing things as God fought for them, but most of the battles were just playing sword to sword, slugging it out, bloody, hard fought and full of sweat. And I don't blame them for wanting to rest instead of finishing the job. But Joshua's about to warn them what will happen if they don't press forward. And the warning for us is if we don't fight on spiritually and continue to cling, to cleave to Jesus. Verse nine, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as as for you, no man has been able to stand before you this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since it's the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. So Joshua's reminding them what the Lord has done in driving out the nations that were more powerful than the Jews. And yet the Jews were like supermen to them. They were so victorious, it would have been temptation to say, wow, look how powerful we are. Aren't we great warriors? Thinking they'd done it in their own strength. And we sometimes get to thinking that our salvation and our progress towards sanctification is all just our effort, forgetting that it was grace that drew us and grace that keeps us and grace that encourages onward. It doesn't mean we don't take every effort to cooperate but rather it recognizes that our efforts would be nothing without the abundant grace of God. The enemy of our soul is much more powerful than we are. And we are in in similar sandals to those whom Joshua was speaking to. We are victorious in Christ, but don't let it go to your head. The enemy has not overwhelmed you only because Jesus fights for you and helps you stand. Verses 11 through 13, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. What a warning. You know, if you love, if you truly love someone, you'll tell them the truth. You'll warn them about what might happen. Because it is God who defeated our enemies, who were stronger than us, we'd better be very careful to love the Lord our God. And this implies intentionally making the effort if we turn away from God and start clinging to these nations and intermarry with the people still in the land, making associate, associations with them, meaning with ungodly people, the Lord will no longer fight for us. Just as the word cling in that picture of, of marital commitment to the Lord in verse 8, here it is again as a deep relation and commitment to those in these idol-worshiping nations. Those compromises for for wealth or lust will only end up becoming a trap. They will be a whip on our side and thorns in our eyes. And then we will be the ones who perish. The application was probably clear to you as I read it. Compromise with the world. Marry the ungodly. Go into business with the wicked. Adopt the ways of this world. And we fall under the curse that they are under. God wants us to love and cling to him alone because he loves us and wants to bless us. But if we backslide, there's no difference between us and the world. Why should we receive his blessings? Why not instead should we receive the same judgments they receive? I keep hearing that in research polls, Christians' lives are almost negligibly different from those in the world. We've failed to heed this warning. Verse 14, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that no, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. Joshua knows he's about to die all the earth is experiencing the entropy that came from the curse way back from the garden. Our bodies are not exempt, no matter how godly we are. He considered all the promises of God to Israel fulfilled. There was much yet to be done, but God kept his side of the promises. The Jews could continue to stand on the word of God and expect the rest to be fulfilled. And I believe we can, I know we can say that God has not failed in any of the promises he has given to us, but there's yet much more for us to do as well. And God has promised to help us and we too can declare his faithfulness. But let's, let us continue to trust in his great and wonderful promises, amen? Think back on all you've experienced of God's rich mercy, and awesome covenantal grace this far. Think of where you were when God found you, the circumstances of your new birth, the assurance of sin being forgiven, your increasing deliverance from the world, the flesh and the devil, your growth in grace and godliness, the progression of the restoration of the image of God in you. They are all a testimony to what the Lord our God has done for us in Christ but they are also motivate us to recognize that no faith can be strong if it's not growing. No virtue will be safe if it's not enthusiastic and none of us will be secure if we are not daily dependent on God's mercy and grace. Made ours in the word and by the spirit. Joshua's backward look is not an exercise in nostalgic self indulgence. His theme song is not, I believe in yesterday. His call is to find fresh courage and focus from the past to keep trusting and obeying the God of battles already won for his continuing victorious provision in all that lies ahead. Verse 15 and 16. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off the good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he's given you. Joshua gave this final warning to his leaders. God was faithful, but now he expects them to be faithful. He expects us to be faithful. And just as he has been faithful to bless us when we obey, so he will be faithful to judge us if we rebel. He gave us the land we possess, and he can take it away. If we are so rebellious as to worship other gods, we will quickly perish from off of God's good land that he has given to us. Joshua is just restating, really, the blessings and curses that Moses gave to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He gave the Amorites and the Canaanites 400 years to repent because they knew so little of God. But we who know God, who God is, and of his love and faithfulness are expected to be faithful now. God will not have as much patience with those who know better. The same battle is before us today. Will we be satisfied with the Lord or will we chase after the lures of this world that tempt us? Their deception is powerful. And we must stay ever vigilant or we will lose out on the blessings while we run after the delusions that in the end will just consume us. We see it happen to others and we think we're more dedicated. But the enemy is subtle. He watches for our weak moments. And that's why Joshua is using terms like do all and cling and be very careful. The enemy is still in the land. Now, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against spiritual powers. The word of God is our sword and faith is our shield. And it's by the living word and standing on its promises that we overcome and remain strong. The battle isn't over until we see him face to face and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can say not one of your good promises has failed us. Thank you, Lord, that you've chosen us to be soldiers in this spiritual battle, to be on the right side, your side. Side that will prevail. And thank you, Lord, as Jean was sharing earlier, that these battles strengthen us, that they make us more like you, that they help us grow. And so, Lord, I just pray every one of us here would have that determination to, to endure and to be vigilant and to press forward. Just as the Apostle Paul said, he presses toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, press on until we see you face to face. Thank you for this warning from Joshua, this example from the physical that helps us see what you have for us in the spiritual. Be with us now as we go and, Lord, help us to depend on you, to lean on you, and to let your life in us flow through, through us to touch others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you.